0: This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. So, Trav, I actually have used BetterHelp in the past, and it was a really, really great experience. I loved my therapist. He gave me a lot of great tools that I still use to this day. You know, without a healthy mind, being truly happy and at peace is hard. The good news is therapy does work. But what is therapy exactly? It's whatever you want it to be, really. Maybe you're not feeling motivated right now and you would like some tools to help. Maybe you're feeling insecure in relationships or at work, not dealing well with stress. Whatever it is you need, it's time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles and start feeling better because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. And it's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapists in under 48 hours. Join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself because you are your greatest asset. And we've got a special offer for No Filler listeners. You can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at BetterHelp.com slash No Filler. That's betterhelp.com slash no filler. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. Welcome to No Filler, the music podcast dedicated to sharing the often overlooked hidden gems that fill the space between the singles on our favorite records. My name's Quentin. I've got my brother Travis with me, as always. And today we are covering Lush and their first three LPs, Scar, Mad Love, and Sweetness and Light. So this is another one of those groups that kind of fall kind of in between alt rock and pop grunge and shoegaze um you know that were really making waves in the UK in the late 80s early 90s and yeah they were under our radar for the longest time trav we missed out on this yeah in the 90s because we were i mean this we were very young when this stuff was happening and it just wasn't making enough sound in the US for it to ever reach us. Yeah, I mean we were just, um, you know, I think we missed out on a lot of these bands that we've been covering over the last month or two because it just wasn't mainstream enough for, this is going to sound like a dig at our brother, but our relation to 90s rock was purely from whatever Spencer had in his CD collection, our older brother. I mean, he had I mean, don't get me wrong. He had great stuff. You know, he had the Smashing Pumpkins and the Stone Temple Pilots and the, you know, President of the United States of America and the toties and all that stuff. But he didn't have any of this more alt-rock stuff. He didn't have anything shoegazy whatsoever. Um, And that's probably kind of like what you said. It was just not, it didn't make the mainstream. It didn't, uh, you know, you weren't going to hear this stuff on the radio, at least in our, you know, little suburb of of Texas, of, of Dallas, right? So yeah, now we're kind of just uh, we're, we're we're catching up, you know. Yeah, and you know we're we've we've been repeating ourselves a little bit here over the last few weeks, but you know this is kind of what we've been covering, you know. So so it's important, I think, to keep bringing that up, you know, because like the more I I learn about these bands, it really is more so that they weren't like their the record labels that they were on just weren't really focusing on. The US markets, at least early on, and depending on the record label. But uh, these bands were huge in the UK. Huge. So, the three EPs that we're covering today, I mentioned the names in our little intro. Um, I was not aware that this album of theirs called Gala, which came out in November of 1990, is actually a compilation record uh, that was released primarily for the U.S. and Japan markets, uh, and it consists of these three EPs. That was the first album of theirs that I dove into, and again, it dives into all three of these EPs. And it's interesting because it play, the tracks are in reverse chronological order for each three. So uh, I think it's interesting. They, they start off with songs from Sweetness and Light, and then they end on Scar. So it goes from 1990 down to 89. So it ends with their earlier stuff. But anyways, um, so the band formed in 1987 in London, and they were initially named Baby Machine, which I thought was funny. Uh, it's off of a, a line from a Susie and the Banshees song, Arabian Nights. Dude, that's, that's funny. Th- this is the second... Um, I want to say this is the second band that named themselves after a uh, susie and the banshee's song name or lyric so it just kind of tells you how uh, of course i can't remember the band but i mean i know i've heard that before Was it a band that we covered i think so or at least we mentioned them in a bunch of heard or something but just tells you how influential they were yeah so the original lineup consists of mariel barham on vocals emma anderson on guitar and vocals mickey Berenyi on guitar and vocals Steve Ripon on bass guitar and Chris Ackland on drums. So I want to dive straight into SCAR, their their uh, debut EP that came out in 89, and just kind of talk about their early sound a little bit and then kind of where they went from there. So I'm going to quote Emma here. Again, she's one of the vocalists of the group. She says here, of, of the band's beginnings, we were kind of punk rock in one way. We did think, well, if they can do it, why the fuck can't we? Basically, our idea was to have extremely loud guitars with much weaker vocals. And really, the vocals were weaker due to nervousness. We'd always be going, turn them down, turn them down. Dude, that's something else, because if it wasn't for her nervousness, right, in her vocal abilities, then they wouldn't sound the way that they sound, you know? And then that was true for uh, Catherine Wheel when we covered them a, f- a few weeks back. On their first record for Mint, his vocals are like more subdued and stuff because he just wasn't as confident as a singer yet. And that's why that record got more of the shoegaze label. And then that label stuck with them, even though by the time they got to Chrome, the record we talked about, he was much more confident and like comfortable with his vocals, and they were more up front, you know? Yeah. But that's interesting, because that description is part of the Shoegaze dynamic, right? Really loud guitars. Extremely loud guitars. And soft vocals, you know? So that's really interesting. So I'm going to just jump right into it. Let's play track one on Scar, just so we can get a feel for this sound uh, from their early stuff. And really, we're only going to cover two years worth, well, really one year worth of music, I guess. In a way, because we're going from '89 through '90 uh, with the EPs that we're covering, but there's really pretty big shift in sound between the three EPs. So that's cool. Yeah, we get to see the evolution here. Yeah, and we'll kind of talk about why that was. Uh, so again, we're going to dive into their first EP, Scar. We're going to play the first track on the record. The song is called "Baby Talk." so there's like the punk energy that she's talking about such an awesome song and i love the, the yeah the guitar is great that is what makes that song stand out yeah really cool yeah just that sort of wall of sound is not the best way to describe it but almost like uh, the term used to describe some of hum's stuff on uh down Heavenward that we talked about last week just a wall of guitar at least something i read here that I thought was interesting. So this is from an article from Melody Maker that came out. I don't know the exact date it came out, but it was around the time that they released Gala. And I believe they were following them around in the U.S. for this interview, walking around this record shop in North America. And uh, this article here says, She doesn't even cringe when the shop assistant describes the band as a cross between the Cocktail Twins and the Pixies. Mm. As far as comparisons go, this one goes out the window, but it adequately describes Lush's mix of velvet and vitriol, honey and belladonna. Mm -hmm. So I think, again, that kind of goes with, and that's something we mentioned with uh, hum, you know, with that kind of uh, quiet, loud, quiet, loud. That kind of stuff happens a lot in, in Lush's music. I'm seeing a name jump out of me in this article that you're looking at. Did Robin Guthrie produce the record? Not this one. He produces Mad Love, yes. We're gonna get into that, dude. Okay, well there's a there's a Cocktail Twins tie right there. That's awesome. So as as heavy, you know, and, and punk as that song was, there are definitely elements of like what is later to come, I guess, in in their sound on this EP scar. And I'm quoting Mickey here. Uh again, this is just Speaking of their their beginnings and kind of how quickly their style started to change, he says, There was a very rapid shift from the minute we started to write for records. The music and the lyrics became much more thoughtful and expressive, more important, really. I remember that change beginning when Emma wrote Thought Forms. It certainly made me think I needed to get my act together. So Thought Forms was the song that we introed in this episode with which is one of the tracks on this EP, Scar. The first track we just played, Baby Talk, was written by Mickey, and she was the one who was speaking there. So, But uh, I wanted to play just one more track from Scar just to kind of show you know, what else they were doing at the time and just kind of where they were heading. So this is a, a song that was written by both Emma and Mickey. This is track three on the record. This song is called Scarlet. Man, you can hear the influence. Um, I mean, it's the same style of music, I guess. But we've talked about the dream pop of the two thousands, the twenty tens, and stuff, right? Um, and how you know, dream pop is kind of the next iteration, the next wave of shoegaze, right? But man, I mean, this is eighty nine, right? And yeah, it it uh, that sound is is still just you know part of it's kind of the indie music dream pop sound that's still very popular right now like it seems like shoegaze the just the generic term of shoegaze dream pop is one of the most consistent rock sounds you know yeah you're right it doesn't really change much grunge was around for just a small window obviously it's making it's having a resurgence in some way right now but it went away, you know. But shoegaze and dream pop—it's been around the whole time. It hasn't gone away. Yeah, grunge was almost entirely gone. <laughs> yeah, by the end of the nineties, for, for you know, for a yeah. while in the early two thousands. Right. Anyway, but it's interesting that Baby Talk and Scarlet are on the same EP because they sound so different. Yeah, and that's what I was saying. Like you can, and and that just speaks to the different writing styles between Mickey and Emma. Well, yeah, and as that article, the person who wrote that article said, it's a. It's like a mashup of the Pixies and Cocktail Twins, right? Like those two songs, that's it right there. Yeah, dude. Because one is one is very loud, quiet, loud. It's a mix of velvet and vitriol. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. I love it when we can quote writers who are just better at words than we are. Right. <laughs> velvet and vitriol. So I'm going to quote another article that came out in 1990. I'm just going to read the first few lines of the article, and so, so it's called A Different Shade of Grunge is the name of the article. It says, for the past couple of years, the somewhat legendary British music press, NME, and Melody Maker in particular, has become almost hyperbolically enamored with a slew of bands whose sound is built from a split-level bass of catchy melodies and fogged, feedbacked guitars. My Bloody Valentine, The Pale Saints, The Pixies, and grunge veterans Jesus and Mary Chain have all been bombarded with such praise. As the most elegant addition to the bunch, Lush have been lauded as brilliant by the Brits. In this case, that daunting epithet just may be valid, as their glittering debut LP, Scar, jumps from stomach-churning guitars to languid, airy vocals with the greatest of ease again that speaks to it and i think maybe that's what why people were paying attention to him you know cuz there was just that stark contrast from song to song yeah and you know to some degree sonic youth kind of did that and they had been doing that much earlier than this right and we talked about with um david brown on an episode last year he's a sonic youth biographer that we had a chance to speak with about just how influential sonic youth was right so i don't think it's a stretch to think that they that they were influenced by sonic youth at least to some degree right oh yeah no they probably were dude so i want to touch real quick on the record label 4ad which is what they were signed to at this point heavy hitters did that's where all of them were heavy hitters and you know again just not something i was aware of i guess because 4ad is still around But back then... You know what's interesting? Um, There is a... So you've been to Josie Records, right, Q? Oh, yeah. It's like the best record shop in Dallas. No question. Huge. Um, And they have their collectibles and like expensive records kind of in the corner, right? And they have... You know, record stores have genre dividers, right? They have a divider just for 4AD. I think it's Shoegaze slash 4AD which is kind of funny but that just tells you how many of those types of bands were on 4AD they're kind of lumped together but they actually group them and you know they get their own genre divider that's tells you a lot right there if you're a record record collector that's how important this record label was is that they they want to call out call your attention hey here's the 4AD stuff you know they probably had so many people coming into the store asking specifically for 4AD records from the 80s or asking yeah asking for artists under that label or something. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, thought that was interesting. So, um another subgenre that 4AD is basically responsible for they they were like the main representation for this genre is called ethereal wave, a subgenre of dark wave music that is variously described as gothic, romantic and otherworldly. Looking up ethereal wave, uh, it is, the the stylistic origins come from dark wave, gothic rock, post-punk, and new wave, derivative forms, dream pop, and shoegazing. So I think those really breathy, you know, calm, quiet vocal stylings, I think is is what I think of when I think of ethereal, you know, kind of otherworldly. It's interesting that people don't really use this name anymore when they're talking about this kind of music but it's it fits with the sound so well yeah it's a good way to say it um dark wave just that alone right but um if i were to go back and, and think about the types of shoegaze bands that i like i think ethereal wave and dark wave shoegaze is a good is a good uh good way to describe it there's a lot of you know you could almost say that doom gaze stuff is kind of drawing from the dark wave side of of this kind of stuff, you know? Absolutely, yeah. So, moving on to Mad Love. So, this is the next EP that they dropped. So, as you had mentioned earlier, Trev, Robin Guthrie produces this record. So, he's one of the guitarists in Cocktail Twins. And a very accomplished, at this point, ambient music producer right that's kind of what he's gone on to do i guess he's always i I think he's always more known for his cocktail twins um you know being being part of part of the cocktail twins but i was a fan of his ambient stuff before i even knew he was in cocktail twins yeah it's really good stuff his guitar tone is like perfect so i'm going to quote from that alternative press article again a different shade of grunge that speaks of this new ep mad love Says the new record is another EP produced by the Cocktail Twins' Robin Guthrie. If you're expecting it to echo the morose pound of Scar tracks like Bitter, you may be disappointed. I think a lot of people want to hear more the same, and the new one is quite different than the old one. Not the actual music, but the production and the way it's been done. I suppose it's more commercial. It's not nearly as raw or as rough as Scar was. So again, this is 1990, their second EP, Mad Love. I'm going to play a couple songs from this one. First one is going to be track two. This song is called Leaves Me Cold. They seem to do this thing with, you know, they did it with Baby Talk, where this is where I, I hear, like, the Sonic Youth influence, or at least the same kind of thing that Sonic Youth did, where the guitars seem to kind of, um, you know, go into this kind of chaotic moment. I feel like their, their chaos is a little bit more controlled than Sonic Youth's, but it's still trying to do this more aggressive kind of guitar attack, you know, that... Just and what I love about her, her vocals are so soft, and I think it works so well with with that. I think we heard both of them, so they they have very similar vocals. Okay, very similar. So that's between Emma and Mickey because they're doing this kind of back and forth thing throughout the song. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's interesting to think about, like, because reflecting back on that that article, a different shade of grunge, and you know they put in. My Bloody Valentine and the Pixies and the Pale Saints as grunge, but a different shade of it. But then you think like 1990, this is right before grunge blew up, and right before Nevermind. Which is interesting that they're using that term, that, right? That the right. term grunge had had already started to to um, you know enter into the the cultural zeitgeist. Right, but it was used to describe bands like this, which is interesting. And this was the same year that Sonic Youth released Goo. You know they had already mm. released Daydream Nation, but like that kind of noise rock, you know, noisy punk kind of no wave kind of stuff was already, was starting to to mature, and bands like Sonic Youth were kind of going into a slightly different direction. And it yeah, it was starting to to feel more classic grungy, but it was before this was right before everything changed. Yeah, it's just interesting because by and large, like the sound of grunge in our head is smells like teen spirit or pearl jam or you know to like the heavier extent like alice and chains and stuff like that yeah but the term was already being used for bands that sound nothing like nirvana right so it's just interesting that um uh, you know depending on well you know we talked i think we talked about this band our second episode cue was on the band Green River, who was like yeah. the first band to get the label applied to them. Yep. And of course, they were a lot heavier than this group, but I just think it's interesting that the term grunge is being used in some way at least to describe Lush because as far as I'm concerned, there's nothing about it that's grunge, but that's because I can't shake the separation. Like, I can't separate grunge from from the heavier side of it that, that comes right around the corner in like in 92, 93, right? And this was heavy right like this this song but is it more punk like though like right it's more punk more it's more punkish to me and you know like that article was saying if you're if you're expecting to hear an echo of what scar sounded like you're not going to get it i i was getting it on this song Mm -hmm. uh again that was leaves me cold that to me sounded just as raw and rough as you know baby talk this next song i'm going to play is is more of the same just kind of really heavy you know loud sporadic guitars up against those vocals uh so here is the next track on Matt Love the song is called Downer definitely a bit different like sonically yeah i think that's what robin brought to the table the, you can you can definitely hear the change and what was that like a is it phalange phalange yeah a little bit of a phalange yeah yeah like a phaser maybe that you talk about the effect on the guitar space yeah. space rock dude space rock <laughs> yeah yeah i mean you could you could put that as a call that a space rock thing but something i was thinking about dude i want to get your thoughts on this imagine if we had the you know original mix of the song or whatever and we could isolate the vocals mm-hmm. just think about it. Just try to think about just the vocals by themselves like what would you label the song because i think the vocals they're almost this the song the vocals could almost be used on like a more straightforward 80s pop song like from like the go-go's or the bangles or something strawberry switchblade or starbucks switchblade yeah might be a better a better choice but like it really is the the music the instruments that make it so special not that I, dude, not that sounds like i'm attacking her vocals i'm not at all it's all no part i know the, what you're saying it, it all plays together and, and makes it what it is but i'm just saying the the melody at least for this song was kind of a little bit more pop pop forward you know yeah but that's what makes it cool. But again, like I can I can hear the Cocktail Twins meets the Pixies. Totally. It's a perfect description of it. Especially now that you got Robin in there producing it. Alright, so I've got two tracks. We're gonna blaze through these two, man. We're gonna jump down to Sweetness and Light, which also came out in nineteen ninety. Uh so this one was recorded in August and released in October of nineteen ninety. So they were definitely like flush with ideas you know in the 90s these were you know really tiny little eps mad love was a four track ep this one sweetness and light was only three tracks but you know they were they were just starting to discover their sound you know so they were getting into the studio whenever they could and i think it is yeah, i think it was a good idea that they decided to drop that compilation record but you know you're just kind of getting these tiny little uh snippets of how their sound progresses within the span of a year really which is cool so we're going to play two tracks so basically we're going to play two-thirds of the record or the ep uh we're going to play the title track Uh, so this one was not produced by robin guthrie just throw that out there so this is track one on the ep this one's called sweetness and light song man yeah it's great that's that's one of those riffs that the uh, that you could just listen to on repeat the main guitar melody of that song oh yeah you know? dude this is it man i feel like this is lush has arrived officially yeah sure and so this is like yeah it like you said earlier it's so interesting to hear just how far they came in a year yeah uh and just how how big of a difference a the producer makes right you can you can kind of see it start with what Robin Guthrie was doing, just sonically with how Mad Love sound. Mm-hmm. And then you've got uh, Tim Freeze Green, uh, who, funny enough, dude, I was just talking about this band, worked a lot with the band Talk Talk from 83 to 91. Uh, Talk Talk is another one of those UK art rock kind of synth pop new wave groups. So it makes a lot of sense that that he was able to to bring that sound to the sessions so that was actually mickey who was doing the lead vocals on that song um i believe it was emma again that wrote it but it says here both mickey's lead vocal and emma's backing vocal and it says in parentheses here which drew comparisons to belinda butcher of my bloody valentine are mixed low and obscured that's when you're starting to get the more dream poppy shoegaze kind of sound when you've got vocals you know mixed really low to where it all just is kind of like a wash in the wall of sound right Mm -hmm. and it says here the recording sessions took considerably longer than lush's previous sessions with robin guthrie and john fryer but resulted in a more atmospheric dream pop sound yeah totally so they took their time a little bit more during these sessions and honestly i feel like this is when again like this is when lush is born (laughs) like the sound that Lush continued to do is right here, Sweetness and Light. And I got one more track to play, dude, and I'll wrap it up. This is the final track on Sweetness and Light. This song is called Breeze. Five, five, six, sounds like a completely different band than the one we were dealing with just a moment ago. Yeah, it's a lot brighter sounding and like yeah, not so dark. Definitely more the the production value is definitely higher than their first EP, but that would be expected. But yeah. I was going to say is like that sounded like the Stone Roses to me big time. Really? They're mentioned a lot in in quite a few of these articles that I read. Are they? Yeah. Yeah. Um but they I I, that's the first time I thought about the stone roses was this song only. So I'm not trying to say that all the stuff we like that, that, that they're similar to stone roses as a whole. I'm just saying that it seems like that's maybe the way they the direction their sound was headed, which to me is more straightforward alt rock Brit pop. Um, stone roses don't really flirt with shoegaze much at all, but yeah, here's what's interesting, dude. I'm looking right here on this Wikipedia article. Uh, I think you're spot on, dude, because what it says here is... So, this is talking about Sweetness and Light again, the first track we played from the CP. Uh, It says, the drum and bass instrumentation are arranged in a Madchester style. trying comparison to the Stone Roses. Madchester was a musical and cultural scene that developed in the English city of Manchester... In the late eighties, closely associated with the indie dance scene, Madchester that's cool. indie dance saw artists merging indie music with elements of acid House, psychedelia, and sixties pop, huh, okay, well, yeah, they yeah, it sounds like those tongue roses to me, but I mean, yeah, that's I've never heard that that's a cool term madchester Madchester, like yeah, so that might have to do with the drum and bass instrumentation, you know, hmm. just the the rhythm section really. I do like how how upfront the bass guitar is. Yeah. Like you can hear it. And the last song we played too. Well before this last one. But as it you know, as it said here, it's it's a more atmospheric dream pop sound that you're getting from Sweetness and Light. Compared to both Scar and Mad Love. So and I think that's kinda just the pocket that they stayed in. Yeah. No, it's great. What a great um collection of tunes, man, because you don't get such a wide Range of of sounds from a band very often, you know, No, especially not in a span of of a year. You know? Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, a lot of bands do, you know, while they're trying to find their sound, might kind of bounce around, but not. Th- a lot of bands can't can't pull off each sound so well. That's the funny thing. Like Lush is like three different bands almost, and all three of those bands are awesome. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> And you know, I did I'm glad that that I did what little research that I ended up doing for this episode because if if I didn't realize that Gala was a compilation record, the first song I would have played today was Sweetness and Light, because again the track listing for, for Gala is reverse chronological order. We would have ended with Papy Talk. <laughs> this would have been a totally different episode. Yeah, yeah. Especially if we had thought This is the 15 tracks on their first album, (laughs) as it kind of looks to be, if you're not aware that that Gala is, in fact, a compilation record of their first three EPs. So, yeah, it's it's really cool to hear what they did from... It's almost exactly a year's worth of uh, recording and record releasing. So, Scar was recorded in July of 89, and then Sweetness and Light was recorded in August of 90, so... Twelve months, dude. This is what they. This is how they evolved in just twelve months' time. Really cool. Yeah, really cool. Well, (laughs) that's all I got, dude. Yeah, great, great tunes. Another great, lesser known, at least lesser known to us and probably most people that only tuned into the mainstream stuff in the nineties. Lesser known band, right? From the from from the alt rock nineties landscape. And we're just gonna stay in this pocket, dude. We got the next like six weeks planned out i think yeah it's pretty crazy including our what you heard episode which will be coming up in a few weeks so next week we're going to talk about a band called drop 19s and i am really stoked dude because i know that your familiarity with this record is uh basically the one song that i've that i've shared with you and that was a few years back yes and i'm i'm definitely going to bring that song to the table but i've got there's you know, plenty of other great tunes on this record. So the album is called Delaware came out in 1992. And this is another one of those. Um, it seems like with shoegaze, there is like this starter pack almost of records that are recommended to people who are trying to get into shoegaze. Obviously my bloody Valentine's at the top. Loveless specifically. Loveless. Yeah. It's always loveless. But, um, lush sometimes will show up on that list. Uh, Catherine Wheel will sometimes show them that list. But for sure, this record from Drop 19s, I always see it mentioned, you know, hey, I, I, I'm try- kind of dipping my toe into shoegaze. What should I listen to? Like, it's always this This record is one of them. Yep. And dude, it is a it is amazing. So you're in for treats, dude. Yeah, I'm excited, dude. I, I just keep forgetting that it exists. So I, I never press play on it. The song in particular that I'm kind of excited most about um, sharing with you all. It has one of my favorite moments in shoegaze, period. <laughs> A bold statement, sir. It's amazing. So anyway, that's going to be next week. And then after that, we're going to talk about another group that's often mentioned, which is called Chapter House. Yeah, and too, my mind's getting blown right now because this was not planned in any way to link back to any of these other groups. But it says here that this is, uh, I'm quoting... Andy Kelman who wrote for All Music he it was a retrospective 4 out of 5 review on All Music on the Lush album Gala uh says Andy Kelman praised Lush's ability to quote veer from violent and edgy noise breaks to pop effervescence uh, Kelman noted how the material on Gala was a direct influence on Chapter House We're doing it man doing it <laughs> Connecting dots. <laughs> and also, dude, get this. The album that I want to cover from Chapter House is called Whirlpool. Guess who produced it, dude? Robin Guthrie. All right. Among others. There were a few producers for it, which is interesting. But we'll get into that in a couple weeks' time. Okay. So, yeah, I'm excited, too. I I just kind of got into Chapter House, and I haven't even listened to this album all the way through, but the first two tracks drew me in, so... That will be after drop 19s. and then I think we've got our next what you heard to wrap up the end of the month, and then we're gonna crank up the volume after that. That's all yep. I'm gonna say. Yeah, yeah. But we'll talk about that later. All right. Well, you can find us on Instagram. to search for No Filler. I am gonna make a promise to the listeners right now. qi I'm gonna post some stuff on Instagram soon. If you're an avid listener, none of the posts will be shocking a new content for you you know it's basically gonna be hey here's an episode that we put out two months ago <laughs> that uh here's the first time i'm hearing about it on instagram at least but you know trying to trying to you know in order to form a new habit, it you just gotta start you know you just gotta start and you to just gotta do I a little happen. bit just every day stick with it yeah that's right so anyway at the very least you should use instagram to get in touch with us so if you want to You know, tell us tell us what 90s alt rock band we're not thinking of or that we that we that you would love to hear us talk about or shoegaze band that you would love to hear us talk about, because that's kind of the pocket that we're in right now. And we're pretty happy with with this uh, this realm of of, um, rock music. So we're going to stay here for a little bit. Um, Or if you have a song that you've really been jamming to or a band that you've been really into lately, uh, you know, drop us a line on Instagram. Tell us about them and maybe we'll we'll have that as the outro song in our next What You Heard episode. We like to do that sometimes. So find us there. Just search for No Filler Podcast. You'll find us. And then, of course, we'd like to always remind you that there is a massive podcast network out there of similar shows like ours. And it's called the Pantheon Podcast Network. That is uh, the network that we are a part of, the network that we are um, proud to be a part of. And you can find them on spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts but you can also go to their website pantheonpodcast.com we'd also like to thank akg for sponsoring the show and the network and yeah that's it and i'm gonna fade out with with a little more of that sweetness and light because i think that might be my favorite song of Lushes. so we'll just fade out with a little more from that track and yeah next week we'll be coming at you with drop 19s Until then, thank you as always for listening. My name is Quentin. My name is Travis. Y'all take care.